Alright. Hey, if you're feeling good this morning, just give me an oh yeah, alright? Man, it is great to be able to, to share this stage with our little ones today. And to be able to look out and see the different grandmas and grandpas that are here. And in fact, if you're a grandma or grandpa, give me an oh yeah this morning. Hey, this is the blessing that you receive for not eating your young. I mean, this is it right here. All the things that you endured. And now you get to have, to have moments like this. And so I hope you have, I uh, hope you enjoyed that. Thanks for coming a little earlier this morning. Appreciate uh, Brianna and Sean for uh, being able to orchestrate some things that were going to be going on. Thanks to Brittany also for her help getting things ready in the lobby. And then you guys show up. There was a lot of excitement in our lobby this morning as everybody was coming in and seeing all the different delights and delectables that were that were spread out and so if you still need something okay if you're starting you know, your sugar levels dropping if that happens while we're in here just go on out there grab you a little muffin or something I cannot promise that we still have Krispy Kreme now let me speak to that by the way we haven't always had Krispy Kreme here at EB uh, we did have a different brand and, uh, but a couple of weeks ago, we switched over to Krispy Kreme, and we were told that it was like a spiritual experience for some. <laughs> and, uh, and we heard, I mean, there was praise the Lord out going on out in the lobby. Uh, there were some people that talked about that the baptism might be on the horizon afterwards. I mean, it was... It was a religious experience, and so uh, Krispy Kreme is back out there again today. And so we thank the good folks there for, for their kindness. They give us a little bit of a discount, so we're, we appreciate that. And so we're glad to have, uh, have the donuts, have everything. Hope you've had a good, a good time this morning. Because our, our time together is meant to encourage each other. You might have thought, well, I came here to worship God. And you are, but your life is a worship to God. And that is the worship that God is looking for and the worship that God desires. And when we come together like this, we just bring all of that worship together in one place. And we end up being able to encourage one another, to lift one another up. Because let me just be honest, the weeks can get tough, right? And there are things that go on that can bring us down. There's all kinds of joy stealers in this world. And there are things that are just hard. And there are things that are just difficult. And we need moments like this to be able to be together and to share in this space. And so I just appreciate you coming and, and encouraging me and those who are, who are around you. Well, let's talk about BHAG for a little bit. Just for a few minutes this morning. Uh, if you are new to our midst, uh, we began something new last week where we focused our attention on a moment in the lives of Jesus' first disciples when they were asked by Jesus to do something that did not make sense to the everyday fishermen. They, he, they were asked to do something that they knew to be untrue about fishing. Jesus told them, I want you to go out into deeper water. I want you to go out into the deep and I want you to let down your nets there to catch some fish. And no fisherman, at least no fisherman in their time that wanted to catch fish, would cast nets in the depths of Galilee. It just wasn't the best location. Especially at this particular time of day when Jesus, after they had finished their fishing and were cleaning their nets, come to them and say, hey, let's go back out again. And as Peter and his friends pushed away from the shore, he would have surely noticed 
other fishermen and other fishing fleets coming in for the day. Or they would have seen that they were already tied up there on the bank. Soon Peter's boat was going to be the only dot out there in the six mile by 13 mile body of water. It was not the smart and it was not the safe thing to do to go out and go into the deep water and try to fish. And his boat was going to be the only one that was going to be out there fishing. But because of that, his boat was going to be the only one actually catching fish. And we mentioned last week how that the business term for what Peter and his fishing partners were going to learn is called blue ocean strategy. It's this idea that says if you want to be successful in the marketplace, then you have to get away from all the other competition. Because competing companies fight with one another over the same marketing demographics and they end up bloodying the water and they just end up feeding like a group of sharks. But if you do something so unique and if you were able to offer something where you were able to create your own market, well, then you end up eliminating the competition and you enjoy blue ocean success. And that's what Peter and his fishing companions experienced that day as they hauled their record catch back to the shore. And the text, when you read there in Luke chapter 5, says that all the fishermen, they were awestruck. They were God-struck is what happened. You understand? And they were amazed. And Jesus' response was to tell them that from that day going forward, they would enjoy even more blue ocean success. Because now they were going to leave their boats, they were going to leave their nets behind, and they were going to go fishing for people. And that day on the shores of Galilee, a small group of fishermen could not begin to comprehend the places that they would go and the people that they would impact as they followed Jesus out into what was the deep. Go out where it's deeper. So last week I I told you that for our church family, I believe that there is a deep blue ocean adventure on our horizon. Because I believe Jesus is calling us into deeper water in order to connect the next generation to Christ. And I want us to be able to build on what God is already doing in our midst and become a community that is known for its outreach and its inreach to those who are under the age of 45. This is going to be our big, hairy, audacious goal. It's our BHAG. But because you might not realize this, but there are actually more people in the U.S. between the ages of 9 and 42. Okay, so there are more people in the United States between the ages of 9 and 42 than between the ages of 43 and 77. Now I know, because I am in that latter range, I like to think that I have the majority group or or that I'm in the one that that is the mover and the shaker, but it's not the case. Millennials outnumber baby boomers. Gen Z's outnumber baby boomers. And the same is true when compared to Gen X because we've always been outnumbered. And a large percentage of those, a large percentage of those that outnumber, outnumber the people who are here even in our midst who are, say, over 45, the large percentage of those have no connection to Jesus Christ. In fact, almost 40% of those under the age of 42 have no religious affiliation whatsoever. And generally speaking, the younger a person is, the more likely she is to be religiously 
unaffiliated. Now, for many of you grandmas and grandpas who are here this morning, that is a strange thing for you to hear because you grew up in a society where there was an expectation of religious participation. And there was an expectation that you were going to be a part of some church and there was going to be um, engagement within that church body. And if you moved to a town, they might ask you, what is your occupation? And then where do you go to church? But those the times are different now. It's changed. And the younger a person is, the more likely he is to be religiously unaffiliated. And so because of this, there is a great opportunity out there. I mean, there are fish in the pond, guys. I mean, there, there are fish that are out there in the pond that are not connected to Jesus Christ. But this big, hairy, audacious goal is not something that is easily achieved. Because there's fish in the pond out there for a reason. And there are very few other boats, especially within our fellowship, within the churches of Christ, that are successfully fishing these waters. The Christian community, with just very few exceptions, has been hemorrhaging young men and young women for the last 25 years. The oldest millennial is now 42. Okay, millennials are, are not that, that young group any, anymore. They're being replaced even now by that Gen Z group that's coming along. But for the last 25 years, the Christianity has been hemorrhaging these individuals. There is no secret sauce. This is not going to be a series that, you know what? If, if we are to do this, and if we make this change, and if this is what we begin to do, if we package it like this, then there's this formula that automatically guarantees success. In fact, like Peter, we have to be willing to risk failure and ridicule. When Peter is sailing out there and the other boats are passing him, wondering what's he doing and where is he going, Peter knows, if I get out here and if I don't catch any fish, I'm going to hear it when I get back to the local 3159 Fishers Union. He knows that he's going to hear about it. And we also have to be willing to have others who say, what is it that you are doing? And why are you doing it like this? And what is your approach? And, and why are you making this adaptation and it might not even work. We could fail. The only certainty that I can tell you is that what, what Western Christianity has been doing is no longer working. The numbers just bear that out. Right? No, no, no harsh criticism. I'm just telling you the numbers. The outreach and assimilation strategies that work to a certain extent for my generation and for my parents' generation are no longer bearing fruit like, like it once did. The Western church of the last 25 years, like Peter and, and his friends, have spent a lot of time washing and cleaning nets after working hard but not catching anything. There's been a lot of things going on that the churches have been trying and, and Christians have been trying to focus on, thinking, well, maybe this is going to make an impact and maybe this is going to make an impact. But at the end of the day, we wash and clean our nets without catching anything. But the good news, the good news is that there is still deep water that's ahead of us. And there's a new opportunity that's on the horizon. And we're not giving up fishing for people. In fact, we're going to go out and fish for the next generation. I remember fishing for the first time with my grandmother and my great-grandmother. My great-grandmother lived to be 101, my, my grandmother to be 97. And so by the time that I came along, they, they were already in their um, 
late 70s and into their um, 90s. And they would take me fishing to this little fishing hole that was there in the little town of Hansville, Alabama. And they fished in a way that I had never experienced or seen before. I, I had seen some things on television and, and I had heard some things. I, I had been to a local sporting goods store and I had seen all of these rods and reels that were lined up along the wall. But that's not how my, that's not how my grandmother, it's not how my great-grandmother fished. They had a cane pole. They had a cane pole and they had a um, little bucket of hot dogs. And we would take the cane pole and, and we would take the hot dogs and, and we would walk because neither one of them ever learned to drive. And we would walk to the fishing hole. And uh, there would be my, my great-grandmother with her bonnet on tied up there around her neck and put out a lawn chair and, and just sit and take that, take, take that hot dog and begin to, to break it up and then put it on the end of the hook and just toss it out there. And then just wait. And for me, that whole experience was like mind-numbing because I'm like, why are we just sitting here? Why aren't we like out there in the water grabbing up the fish? Well, why, why aren't we out there, you know, doing something that's a lot more exciting than just sitting here and, and kind of just, just, just waiting? And, but they would tell me, you just have to be patient and you have to be quiet. I don't know which one was more difficult for me, the patience or, or the being quiet. Believe it or not, we did catch fish. It was an amazing sight to, to watch those two ladies as, as they would just wait till just the right moment and all of a sudden they would pull back on that pole and, and here would come this fish and end up on the bank and, and start flopping all around and I thought it was just the cool, ah, the fish, you know, and shh, you know, okay, okay, okay. That's a great memory that I have in my life. A couple of months ago, I um, was able to um, have a new fishing experience. I went fly fishing for the first time. Went fly fishing with, with Will Young, and he was instructing me in, in, in all the ways of, of the fly fisherman. And, and let me tell you, Will, Will does it right, okay? He, he, is, he is very deliberate in his, in his fishing. And, and guess what you have to do? You've got to be patient, and you have to be quiet. We didn't have a cane pole. We had this long sucker. I mean, it, it, it comes in. You can take it all apart. And, and then you, you, have, you have to get your, your, your wrist going just right. You got to have this, you know, little like you're, like you're waving for the queen as, as she comes by. You know, this kind of whipping action that you do. And, and, and then you just want to skip it all across the water. I'm looking for the hot dogs in the truck. I saw no hot dogs as we were, as we were on our way. And I'm thinking, this is not the fishing that I'm used to. This is, this is not the fishing that I was raised on. I don't know how I'm going, how I'm going to fish. There are waders that you've got to put on, and there were no lawn chairs because guess what? We actually got to go out into the water. It was like, all right, I've been wanting to do this ever since I was little. And so I put on those waders, and uh, Will made it look so easy, by the way. 
Like my uh, grandmother's before him, he, he made it look so easy as he would just put those waders on and he began to traipse along the rocks and then step down into the water. And you got to remember, Will is a little bit taller than I am. And so as he would step down into the water and the water would come up on him, it would be like, oh, that's cool. You know, I would, I would step down and the waders would begin to fill. And, um, but I'm following Will because he's taking me to the good fishing hole. I don't fish the same way anymore. I don't go to the same fishing hole that I used to. I don't use the same equipment. But I still fish. I still fish. And even that day when Will and I were out on the water, my thoughts were not just of getting the whip action going just right and making sure I did not hook myself or my fishing partner my thoughts were of my grandmother's. My thoughts were of the cane pole. My thoughts were of the hot dog. Because they were the ones that first gave me the love of fishing. And I'm sure it's the same for many of you. And I think you also understand that I'm not talking about fishing anymore. I think you also know that Many of you can look back into your history and you could see a grandmother, a grandfather, a, a great-great, a great-grand, and, and, and you see individuals that inspired in you and, and poured into you a, a love, a love for God, a love for his church, and a love for his scripture. And then even now, as we are here today in a, in a different pond, here in a different, in a different building, maybe even singing different songs in, in different ways, and, and you still think of them. You still think of them because of the way that they shared with you. Over the course of this lesson series, I'm going to share with you some specific things that we're going to need to address as a faith community in order to gain a hearing with the next generation. And while it's true that every generation expresses their devotion to God and, and seeks encouragement with community differently, we're naive to think that a few tweaks to any kind of assembly like this is actually going to do the trick. People have been trying that for a long time. There are both technical and adaptive changes that we must consider, and we'll talk about what those mean in the weeks to come. But first, what I want to attempt to do is to anchor this series on what I believe to be an essential, an essential point to any conversation about connecting the next generation to Christ. Because that's what we want to do here. Just like grandparents who enjoy introducing their grandchildren to fishing or to certain music or teaching them how to drive or, or going on a certain trip or, or going to a ball game for the first time. I, I believe that as spiritual grandparents, looking at those who are coming up after us, we have a desire and we want to be able to connect the next generation that comes to Jesus Christ. And that next generation, the one that's coming and the one that's already here, need to know that as followers of Jesus Christ, we have something good to share with the world. That's where we need to anchor our, our, our conversation and our thoughts. As followers of Jesus Christ, we have something good to share with the world. In fact, the first four books in your New Testament are referred to as being good news. 
It's the good news according to Matthew and Mark and Luke and John. Now I know that we normally call those, the writings, the gospels, but gospel literally means, well, good news. And that, that good news, it's, it has far more to do than just the idea of eternal salvation. That's oftentimes the way that we kind of connect those ideas. That the gospel is all of something to do about eternal salvation. Author and preacher John Orkberg has stated that for many, the most common understanding of the gospel message is this. That it's the message of how Jesus came to get us off of earth and into heaven. That's the gospel, as many people see it. N.T. Wright, in his book, Simply Good News, writes that for many, the gospel means explaining how to make sure we arrive in heaven safe and sound. But then he argues in his writing, instead of suggesting that we could escape the earth and go to heaven, Jesus' good news was about heaven coming to earth. The good news, the, the gospel, is all about what God has accomplished in the past what he is accomplishing in the present, and what he will accomplish in the future. And Jesus understood the good news to be foundational to his ministry and to his message. And those who followed him would build upon that foundation, and they would build a community of believers overflowing with influence to those that were around them. And then beginning in Jerusalem, their ministry and their message would impact the entire Roman Empire, turning the known world, it would say in Acts chapter 17, upside down. Changes were made because of the influence of the people of God. And for over 2,000 years, the followers of Jesus have cycled through periods of influence and indifference. And I don't think it should surprise you or me to say that today the Western church has an influence problem. In her book, Searching for Sunday, the late Rachel Held Evans lamented that among those in the United States who came to faith around the year 2000, more than one quarter now claim no religious affiliation at all. And that approximately 8 million young adults will leave the church before their 13th birthdays. Writers Dave Kinneman have pointed out that outsiders view of church, they view church as being now irrelevant. And the studies show, the questions are asked. It's not just a, a, a guess. Millennials Gen Z's, those who are under 42, they've been asked, well, what's your problem with church and why aren't you connecting the way that previous generations did? And it's due to a perception, a perception that church is too political, too consumeristic, and too hypocritical. And so over the years, the church just lost its relevance in the lives of the people. And as the church lost its relevance, Christians began to lose their influence. But what, if, but what if heaven's answer to our world's lack of faith is a group of believers in Jesus, just like you, a group of believers in Jesus, just like you, just like what we have here this morning, rediscovering this idea of good news. Luke chapter 9 couple of chapters, a few chapters after what we began looking at last week when, when Jesus sees those fishermen and says, all right, now you're going to go fish for people. He's getting ready in Luke chapter 9. He's going to send them out looking, fishing for those people. And he says, it says, when Jesus called the 12 together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. And so he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. 
It says a little later on down in the chapter, so they set out and they went from village to village, proclaiming the good news and healing people everywhere. Here's what I believe. The gospel keeps us from ever becoming irrelevant. The message and the ministry of Jesus keeps us from being irrelevant in our culture and in our society. It's only when the church begins to go in a different direction and focus in different ways that all of a sudden people begin to say, I really don't have a use for you. But when the 12 left Jesus, they walked away with a ministry and a message. And when they entered a village, they brought something tangible, something that could be experienced. And when they sat down around a kitchen table or a hospital bed, they were not marketing or selling a way of doing church. They were proclaiming God's rule by sharing healing and by sharing hope. And I know that you've seen this. I know that you understand that our world is hurting. Our world is sick. Our world has a love problem. Our world has an anger problem. Our world has a forgiveness problem and an acceptance problem. Our world has a value problem. Our world has a fear problem. Our world has a sin problem. And as followers of Jesus, as followers of Jesus who look out and we see the anger and we see the hate and we see the selfishness and we see the unwillingness to forgive, and we see the individuals and, and the societies around us that are focused in on the wrong values and are focused in on anxiety and only know consumption and only know what it means to hurt others and hurt themselves. As followers of Jesus, we have to be encouraged that we have good news. We have a ministry and we have a message. And it is a message of love and peace and forgiveness and acceptance. It is a message of Jesus Christ. And I believe that we have been placed here in Chattanooga. I believe that, that you are here not by accident. And that we are here in this place, in this time, placed here by our king to be a kingdom outpost that offers healing. Our society right now is, is so confused on so many different issues. And, but one of them especially is, is the idea of, of sexuality. And, and we should be able, as a church community, to be a place where heterosexual and homosexual can struggle with God's standards for discipleship. And we should be a place where teenagers who are apathetic and angry can, can vent their frustrations and, and ask their hard questions. We should be able to be a community where the divorce can find family, where the unwanted child can be adopted. We should be able to be a community where the, the husband struggling with lust and the mom that's struggling with addiction, with alcohol, can find accountability, where forgiveness is offered even before it is asked for. There is hurt and there is pain in our society, and we are to be an outpost because we have a message, we have a ministry. And I believe that we have been placed here by our king in Chattanooga to be a kingdom outpost that not just offers healing, but one that offers hope. Hope to those, yes, who are getting out of prison, a ministry that we already have here where we're providing mentors and helping to find jobs and 
We're providing biblical training. We're providing friendship. Because we know that the individuals, they paid their debt. They need to be released from the cycle of incarceration. And friends, we have Hispanic brothers and sisters who, having come to our country, carry the burden of being looked upon as second-class citizens if they're considered to be citizens at all. And your kindness and your handshake and a shared meal with you can ease that stigmatism and that oppression. And we're in the midst of a culture that is being destroyed by opioid addiction and sexual immorality and materialism. But there is hope in the midst of the darkest night. The message of the kingdom is one of power and it's one of purity and it's one of plenty. The good news of Jesus is as relevant today as it ever has been. But the church will not regain influence in society until the gospel, until the good news regains influence in the church. We need to see ourselves as bearers of good news. Michael Horton in his book, The Gospel Driven Life, writes that the gospel is not just a series of facts to which we yield our assent, but a dramatic narrative that replots our very identity. And there was a survey that asked Christians in the United States to examine their actions and their attitudes. Did they, the researchers ask, engage in actions like Jesus? And these Jesus-like actions included behavior such as the following. And people were asked this. Do you regularly choose to have meals with people who are different from you? Who have different faith and have different morals? Do you try to discover the needs of non-Christians rather than waiting for them to come to church? Questioners were also asked to consider whether or not they cultivated attitudes like Jesus. And Jesus' attitudes include the following. I see God-given value in every person, regardless of his or her past or present condition. I believe that God is for everyone. Questioners were then asked to rate themselves in terms of attitudes and actions that were, are you, are you more like Jesus? Or the questioners asked, are you more like the Pharisees that were found in the writings called Good News? Examples include the following. I try to avoid spending time with people who share a different view than I do in politics or on sexuality. I like to point out those who do not have the right theology or doctrine. It is not my responsibility to help people who will not help themselves. I believe we should stand against those who are opposed to Christian values. Individuals are asked, go ahead, rate yourself. Do you see yourself having attitudes and actions like Jesus? And, and then as you think about that, do you find yourself being more like the Jesus of Scripture that we see or having attitudes and actions more like those Pharisees that are there in the Gospels, in the Good News writings? And here are the results. One of every two Christians surveyed said she or he had actions and attitudes that were more Pharisaical than Christ-like. 50%. Only one in seven believed he or she acted like or thought like Jesus the majority of the time. And the author said, it appears as though we have a Jesus who is attractive, but we wallow in attitudes and actions that are offensive. And as a result, with each passing year, we become more and more irrelevant in our society and our influence suffers. But there's good news. There is good news because when the people of God realize that we have a ministry of healing and a message of hope, well, then everyone begins to talk. And they talk not about churches 
or political parties or hypocrisies, everyone begins to talk about Jesus. The king soon heard about Jesus because everybody was talking about him. Everybody was talking about what Jesus was doing, and everyone was talking about what Jesus was offering. And these 12 influencers that he sent out to begin with put the name of Jesus on everyone's tongue in Jerusalem. And friends, here's what I believe. If we want to connect the next generation to Christ, then we must share the healing and hope of Christ with the next generation. It's what they're asking for. It's what they need. It's what we're all searching for, right? Healing and, and hope. And, and the excitement that I feel is the fact that we can do this. I mean, we can, and not just in, in this space. And, and as we talk about this idea of our, our big, hairy, audacious goal, I don't want you just to be thinking about this particular space and at this particular time. Too often, when we talk about reaching different generations, it's always focused on, well, what's going on with the church at that holy hour that we seem to have of that 9.30 time period? And what's going on in that space? And that's where all the ideas and all the focus kind of began to be centered on. But the way that we connect the next generation to Christ is not about what is taking place in here, but is what you are doing out there. That's what it is. It's what we're doing in their space. We just have to enter their space. I got a little dog at home. We're team little dog, by the way. How many team big dogs? We got any team big dog? I mean, you, you got a big dog, big, big manly or womanly dog. You, you got one of those? We, 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 we got a little boy, girl dog, okay? And, and his name's Tiger. All right, that's him. And, and that is a picture of Tiger being ferocious. You, you can't see his teeth. I mean, he's showing it right there. Uh, th this is the, uh, the back door at, at our house, and you can see there is a, uh, there's a little deck that's back there behind it, and you can see a little bush that's back there. What, you, what you're unable to see is that also living just beyond that door and, and just beyond that deck and around where that bush is, there's a chipmunk. And he's a mean chipmunk. He is. And about each morning, he will come out close to the same time of day, and he will sit right in front of the bush, just beyond the deck, in full view of Tiger and his sunning window here. And that chipmunk will taunt that dog. He will. That chipmunk just sits there and just takes a bath, and you know, ever how chipmunks bathe, I'm not for sure, you know, but... I mean, it's just sitting there, and, and then he'll pull out the paper and read it and, and just kind of look around and have his morning cup of coffee, and, and then Pilates begins, and, you know, and he starts stretching. And all the time, Tiger is right there going nuts. I mean, and it's just bark, 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 bark. And Steve Hurst, who built this house, and I got to give a shout out to Steve, he did a great job with our house, and, and uh, he, he decided that one back door with a, a window like this wasn't enough. You needed two. 
And so in our bedroom, there's a similar door just like this. And so what I do not have for you, sadly, is a video of Tiger running from this door into the bedroom to the next door. And he just does this back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. All the while, that chipmunk taunting him, just sitting there, acting as if he has no idea he's even there. And he probably doesn't. Because again, thanks to Steve, we, we, have, um, we have sunscreens there on our windows, you know, and stuff. And so it's dark when you look in from the outside. That chipmunk has no idea that, that there is this, this ferocious dog right there that, that, that is barking, that wants to be his friend. Tiger doesn't, he doesn't want to hurt him. He just wants to play with him. Use him as a chew toy a little bit, you know. It's just the right size. He just wants to play. He just wants to introduce. And he's yelling and he's barking and he's screaming. And he's running around. He's making a lot of noise. He's wearing himself out. And that chipmunk has no idea he's even there. And I show you this picture because I feel like this is a good image and a good mirror as to what is currently taking place within our society. We have generations who are outside these walls, who are in our schools and and who are at the gym with us and, and who work with us and who hand us our coffee and individuals that are answering the phone. And we got all these people who are around us. And for such a long time, churches have had this idea and this model that if we will just speak loud enough and if we will just yell on social media, if we'll just promote ourselves enough, if we will just have enough action, if we will wear ourselves out, screaming sometimes, at the next generation, the generation that fishes different from us, the generation that, 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 that lives different from us, the, the generation that works different from us, and, and the generation that plays different from us, if we will just be loud enough that they will, they will come and be our friends. And all the while, what statistics are showing is that more and more, the next generation does not even know we're here. If we want to connect the next generation to Christ, then we must share the healing and hope of Christ in their space. In their space. You see, the connection that's going to take place is not going to be connecting people to this church. People will be connected to Christ because first, they become connected to you. And they become connected to you because of the healing and hope that you bring into their space and that you are willing to share with them. It's a big, hairy, audacious goal. 
And I don't know if we right here will be successful. But there will be those who will be brought to Christ because the word of Christ, once it is sent out, it, it does not return back void. There, there will be those influenced somewhere. And we'll talk later on as we go through this series about how that in the Eastern world, there, there are thousands of people who are responding to the good news of Jesus. And right now in our Western society, in our Western culture, it is hard. It is difficult. But it does not mean that the people of God quit. It doesn't mean the people of God stay home. And it doesn't mean that the people of God just bark louder. It just means we've got to open up the door. We've got to open up the door and go and take the healing and the hope of Jesus. Father, I pray that you will give us the courage and give us the energy that you would give us the enthusiasm and that you would give us the excitement. That, 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 you, would, that you would give those things to us so that he would rekindle our spirit so that, so that we, would, we would see ourselves as influencers for you each and every space that we step in and that we would be willing to carry your ministry of healing and your message of hope every single place that we go. Father, I just pray that, I, I pray this week that, that there will be those who, who, would, who would be open to, to hearing about that hope and, and that you would open up our eyes to individuals who are in need of, of healing and in need of comfort and, and care. And that, Father, that we would truly see ourselves as, as those influencers, that, that we would see ourselves as, as individuals that have this, this, this great goal in front of us because there is such a great need that's there in front of us. Father, I'm thankful for all that has been done in the past and how you have, you have worked through different people in different groups in different places and in different times and, and, and how that, that people have come to you and people have known Jesus as their Savior because of, of what has been done. And I'm, I'm thankful for what is currently being done right here and right now in this space. And, and Father, we're also going to give you praise right now for what is going to be done in the future, for, for how you are going to, to move and how you are going to influence and, and how you are going to shape and change the lives of those, not just those who are here right now, but those who are a part of these next generations and those not yet even born. Father, we want to partner with you. We want to be a part of that. We want you to work through us so that more and more people can know the healing and hope of Jesus. We ask that you work mightily in our lives this week. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Church, it's our big, hairy, audacious goal. And we're going to continue to talk in the weeks to come about, again, those things, how to open up that door and, and how to be able to, to, 
to be able to have a hearing with those of, of a generation that it says, I really don't want to listen about Jesus. I don't want to hear a lot about church. I don't want to hear a lot about, about your Bible. We're, we're going to talk about what that, what that looks like. And I'm excited about it. I hope that, hope that excitement is, is building for you. Guys, when I was little, I, I, I sat along a bank with, with a fi- little fishing pole and a little thing of hot dogs. And I was introduced to something that, that I didn't know what it would become. And I didn't know what it would look like in the future. But I had that moment. And it was all because I had someone who just happened to be kin to me. That said, I want to introduce you to something that I love. And I want you to love it too. And, and while, again, I know that you've introduced your kids and grandkids to a lot of things, and, and you've introduced them to, to ball teams, and you've introduced them to political parties, and, and you've introduced them to things that you are passionate about and the things that you love, but whether you're a grandparent or a parent or a teenager, a yak, if you're single or if you're married, the most important thing that you can do is introduce another person to Jesus Christ. And that is what you have the opportunity to do, not just in this room, but when you leave this space. It is a big, hairy, audacious goal. But by God's grace, we will see fruit. Let's stand and give him praise. And this morning, if you need to come for whatever reason, we ask that you do so as we give.